Well, Father, what we just sung, what we just declared, that is 100% true. There is no name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you are the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It has been given to you by the Father. Father, I pray right now we would humble ourselves under the authority of your word, that we would not be people who are like looking in a mirror and then walk away forgetting what they look like, but God, you would press this word into our hearts and we'd humble ourselves as we ask the question, who is this Jesus? Is what he says true? Are these testimonies we've just heard true? Father, would you press this truth into our hearts today? Remove distraction from this place. I don't know where all these people came from today, what things have happened during this week, but right now, I pray you would strip away anything that would steal their affection or their attention from you. Father, arrest our hearts with great joy, with great awe, with a great love for you, and so much gratitude for what you have done for us to all who call on your name. Father, would you be with my mouth, guard it from error, say what you want to say, and have your way in this place, Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, in Jesus' name, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, what a blessing it is, church, to be able to be here for another Easter Sunday With us as a church, this Easter Sunday looks quite a bit different from our last Easter Sunday that we had as a church one year ago today. And we give all the glory and praise to the work of Jesus Christ in his promise to build his church. Amen? You are seeing living testimony to that promise. As we talk about Resurrection Sunday, we're going to look at Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. The title of this morning's message is... He is not here. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen. If you do not have a Bible in front of you, you're going to want to follow along with us this morning. We're going verse by verse, line by line today. Luke chapter 24. If you put your hand up, our ushers are coming forward right now. We want to put a copy of God's word into your lap. Love seeing those hands, loved ones. Love it. So you can follow along. And if you do not have a copy of God's word at home, that is a gift to you so that you can continue to study it and literally be face-to-face with your creator every day. Awesome privilege. Never gets old. He is not here. He is risen. Now, 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 now. That can stir up a lot of meaning in a lot of people. So let me start off by asking this question, loved ones, and it is this. What comes to your mind when I say this? Ready? Ready? Eyes up here. What comes into your mind when I say this? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Some of you may be in here saying, that's a lie. You're full of hot air. Some of you may ask, what does that even mean? Some of you may say, "Uh, is it even true? Or, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Some of you may ask, should it really have any impact on how I live my life? Some of you may ask the question, why is it even important at all? 
Let's just cut to the chase. Here's why it's important. You'll see a quote here by Pastor Tim Keller. He says this, If Jesus rose from the dead, here's why it's important, loved ones. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? Why worry about it? It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any weight. It doesn't have any power. This issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching. It is not about whether you agree with his teaching or not. This issue, whether Jesus Christ rose from the dead, determines everything. And here's the reality. It says this. If I could sum that up, I'd say this. If that isn't true, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, none of this matters. None of what we just sang. Hey, we had three baptisms here. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead... They have just publicly declared the greatest lie in all of history and how it's changed their life. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, if what he says in his word is not true, I will tell you this. This church does not exist. Less than two years ago, this church had 16 people in it. around a table begging and asking God through Jesus Christ to build his church and fulfill his promise. There are more people on our worship team today than there were in the first meeting. All glory to him. But if it's not true that he rose from the dead, none of this matters. This is a lie. This is a waste of time. In fact, the Apostle Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. You'll see it on the screen. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, the preaching of God's word, is in vain. Your faith is in vain. If Christ did not rise from the grave. It's all in vain. Fools. Foolish. Whoa, whoa. But if it is true, Everything in your life, and I mean that very clearly, everything in your life depends on your response to it. If it's true. Everything. The problem is for literally billions of people in this world, and maybe some even in this room today, for my life, for the first 24 years of my own life, this truth has little or no impact on their lives. Instead of accepting it and living out the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, they minimize it, scoff at it, make excuses for not believing it, harden themselves to it, and ultimately reject it. And what is the result of that? I saw this firsthand in my own life. We end up living lives that seek the victory, power, peace, forgiveness, freedom, and fulfillment that it gives in other things, in other religions that can never deliver. Some of you may say that's a big statement. 
Let's just see what the Lord has to say about that. So let me ask you a question before we start. How about you? What will you do with Jesus today? Now, no matter where you came from, I want to ask this question to you. Are you willing to ask him to show you the truth today? Are you willing just to sit there? What have you got to lose? If it's a lie, it's in vain, whatever. But if it's true, are you willing to ask him to show that to you? Because I guarantee if you do that with a genuine heart that says, show me the truth of what's true, he will do it every time. Is that a question you want to ask? Because that determines everything else. Lord, open my eyes to see the truth about you today. Just pray that right there. And if it's genuine, he will do it. Here in this text, we see the two life-altering truths that we must embrace. If we are to live in the life-giving and life-saving power and freedom of Jesus Christ through his resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Easter. Ready? To honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read these 12 verses. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. The resurrection says this, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed down their faces to the ground, the men said to them, greatest truth of all time right here, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what he had happened. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. First thing is this, we must embrace this. We must recognize his absolute authority. We must recognize his authority absolute. Absolute. Look at verses 1 to 3. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Let's get some context here to help us out. Christ has been crucified three days earlier on Friday, and, is, and this is now in the early morning or the pre-dawn. When it says early morning there, it's actually before sunrise. So it's still dark out. They're coming to the tomb, these women, on Sunday, first day of the week. All four Gospels verify it. After seeing Jesus killed on the cross and buried in the tomb three days earlier, some of the women that were his disciples, we talked about what a disciple was earlier, were now on their way back to the tomb to finish anointing his body for burial, as was the Jewish custom of the day. And, and the reason it says they took the spices is because uh, it was an act of love for the deceased. 
they would go and they'd put spices on, over the linen cloths and anoint the body to contradict the decaying smell of one who was dying. So they would go in and Jesus uh, had already had a hundred pounds of spices, we see in the gospel, put on him by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And here's the women now coming to add more. That's how much they loved him. They thought he was dead. And that was the end of things. All hope of their savior gone. Now let's get some clarity here at the moment, in the moment of this tomb here in verse 1. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they prepared. What's the tomb? Well, the tomb is just a resting place of an individual where a dead body's placed. And it's not like the tombs and the graveyards that we see today. Here's a picture of Jesus' tomb. This is in Israel. I used to live in Jerusalem. It's called the Garden Tomb. And I remember sitting in front of this tomb right here, recognizing this story. And i got to tell you, it is just overwhelming. It is overwhelming. There's a, there's a cave dug into a rock and, a, and thousands of pound stone put in front of it. So it's not as though you can just go in and kind of kick the stone to the side and get in to see Jesus. Yet when they get to the tomb, verse 2, it says, They found the stone rolled away from its entrance. And after verse 3, coming to the tomb and seeing this, the women go into that tomb and do not see the body of the Lord Jesus. That tomb can fit maybe about six people total in there. I've been in there to see it. And they don't see this body. Now, there's something very critical here in verse 3. Don't miss this because all of what is about to happen comes out of this statement right here. Verse 3. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Very significant statement right there. Circle that one. The Lord Jesus. What is this? The term Lord there means it's a title of honor. It's a title of respect. It's a title of reverence for the one who is, get this, ready? Ready? Here's the Greek for this. The one who is supreme or sovereign and possesses absolute authority, absolute ownership, and get this, uncontested power. There's a lot in that name. You can't miss it. Uncontested power and authority. In short, it is the title given to the Messiah, the Son of God. And some of you may say, well, listen, hey, 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 I don't believe that. Yo, why is there a tomb? If he's dead, if he really died, and he's the one with supreme authority, uncontested power, is the very son of God himself, why or how could he even die in the first place? Check that out. Well, I did, praise the Lord. How could someone with all power be killed? Great question. Here's how. Because the one who has all the power had a plan. The one who has all the authority had a plan. Don't believe me? I say, you got something to back that up? You bet I do. Look at John chapter 10, verse 18. Just listen as I read this. No one, Jesus said, talking about his crucifixion. He goes, no one takes my life from me. No one's taking this from me. He says, I lay it down of my own accord. I'm choosing to go down. No one's taking this from me. I have authority. I have power. He even says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. 
This charge I have received from my Father. He's got authority to lay it down. He had a plan. I love how commentator Joel Green says this. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus' death is not a contradiction of his status or mission, but it's fulfillment. (laughs) Yes. He is the rejected prophet, the suffering Messiah, who, according to the scriptures, brings God's purpose, the plan, to realization. Jesus Christ brings it to realization. The one with authority had a plan and has all authority to execute it. No pun intended. Now look at this tomb pick here again. Let's go back to that for a sec. Paul Tripp says this as you look at that. Think about this. Think about the magnitude of this moment. Think of the authority you would need to have to control all of the situations, locations, and relationships in order to guarantee that Jesus would come at the precise moment and do what he was appointed to do. Also, could there be a more pointed demonstration of power than to have power over death? By God's awesome power, Jesus took off his grave clothes and walked out of that tomb. Human beings are capable of some pretty amazing things, but here's the reality we need to face today. We'll all die. And there is nothing we can do about it. That's coming for you and me. Unavoidable. Nothing you can do about it. Not anti-aging creams or anything like that. It's coming. It's coming. That's a sobering word for us today. And the question that it begs is this. Will, the question isn't, will I die? The question is, what will you do with the only one who has power and authority over death? What will you do with Jesus? That's the question that needs an answer. We must understand this. We look at that tomb there. It hit me this week. Do you know that stone wasn't rolled away to get Jesus out? He has all authority. He's got all power. He could walk through the stone. Why does he need to roll it away? The stone wasn't rolled away to get Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to get the witnesses in. It was rolled away to get the witnesses in so they could walk into that tomb and see that he was risen to show them that he himself has all the power, all authority over sin, even over the greatest impact of sin in this world, death itself. Who else could do that? I love how Jesus says, we heard it today in a baptism tank, Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me by the Father. He didn't need to prove this to himself by saying, hey, I'm just going to show how powerful I am by rolling a stone away. He didn't need to prove this to himself. He did it to prove it to us. So the first question we need to address today is this. Whose authority are you recognizing in your life? Whose authority am I recognizing in mine? Who has the authority 
Some things that came to mind that I know I'm tempted to go to. How about myself having the authority over my life? It's my life. Well, who created you? That who has the authority. I have the authority. I have the control. Maybe someone else has the authority over me. Maybe another religion has the authority. Hey, question. What power or strength are you relying on? One that will last or one that will fail? There's only one that will last. It's so clear, we'll see it in a moment. Hey, and if you're here and you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I was very convicted by this this week in my own life. Does my life reflect one that's being lived under the authority of Christ? Does my life reflect one that's being lived under the authority of Christ? How about in my marriage, in my fight for purity? How about in my marriage and how I lead my family, my children? Am I losing my temper? I'm so prone to wander that way, to be impatient. Is that showing I'm living under the authority of Jesus Christ and recognizing that? Or is it the authority of Ray? How about this? Whose authority are you recognizing, loved ones, over your health? Over your health. We can so easily make idols of our health, can't we? I just got to look a certain way and do a certain amount and lift a certain amount and do these things. Careful, whose, whose authority are you recognizing over that? Are you submitting it to him next? How about our entertainment choices? The movies we're watching, the books that are on the bookshelf, how we're surfing the internet, where that's going, does that reflect a recognition of the authority of Christ in our lives? Oh, when we face temptation, the temptation to be anxious, the temptation to worry or fear, the temptation to fear in those trials or battles with sin that we face. Hey, question, loved ones, if you're in Jesus Christ, what do you need to submit to his authority right now? In? What's that for you? Just take a moment to write it down. I got a whole list from this week. I've been sitting with this all week. And if you're here and you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in love, I just want to say this without having your hope fully anchored in the only power that has authority even over death itself, what hope do you think you have? In love I say that. I guarantee you when you... Hey, this struck me so hard this week. I guarantee you when you are on your deathbed, when I'm on my deathbed, and you and I face the inevitable end that is coming you're not going to be thinking about how much money you made. You're not going to be thinking about how healthy you were. You're not going to be thinking about how big your house was or how many degrees or friends you had. You're going to be thinking about God and where you will be spending eternity shortly. And there's two options. Either with Christ in eternal life in heaven or separated from him in eternal death in hell. Two options for everyone. Only one authority has the power to bring you from certain death to certain life. Authority of Jesus Christ through whom, as 1 Corinthians 15 says, you see it on the screen, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Amen? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this. The victory is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through anything you can do to earn this. It's not through anything I can do to earn this. It's through believing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and confessing him as our Lord and Savior. It's nothing you can do to earn this. You can't earn favor with God. It's impossible. It's accepting his free gift of salvation that he knew we couldn't earn it and came on our behalf. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You must recognize his absolute authority. And only when you recognize his authority can you realize the truth of his promise. Salvation. Salvation. Look at verses 4 to 6. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Okay, back in verse 4, you see where that word, that big word there? While they were perplexed. While they were perplexed. What's the Greek mean for that? The Greek term for that is this, at one's wit's end, to be at a loss for words. Imagine you walking into that tomb. You've seen Jesus get crucified three days earlier. You've seen him get laid in that tomb. You probably had a hand in anointing his body for that burial. And all of a sudden you walk in, it's not there. You're perplexed. You're at your wit's end at a loss for words. Why? Why does the Holy Spirit write this to that level? Because something significant has happened. Why were they perplexed? Notice the next word. They were perplexed about this. Behold. Circle behold. Every time you see behold in scripture, here's how the Holy Spirit uses it. It's like a divine highlighter. I heard this week. It's so good. That's a great way to describe it. It's like a divine highlighter where God is literally saying, I am using this to draw attention to something that is specifically worthy of observation. Whenever you see behold there, pause. Divine highlighter. I better pay attention to what's coming next. Watch this. And as the women were staring at the empty tomb, there before them stood two angels that were in the image of men and were dazzling in apparel. Now, okay, we're not talking about like the latest Lululemon fashion craze here. Okay, dazzling apparel. We're not talking about Gucci suits or anything else. What is this dazzling apparel we're reading of here? The Greek means this, to flash, to shine, to gleam as lightning. Awesome. To flash, to shine, to gleam as lightning. Sorry, Lulu, that just put you under the table. In response to this, the women bowed down their faces in fear and reverence, and the angels announced the greatest news of all time. Verses 5 to 6, they say this. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. You know what the term for risen there is? Greek term for risen means this, to awaken from death. Literally, to arouse from death to life. It's not like, hey, I'll get you out of bed today. No, no, no. Arouse from death to life. He's not here, he's risen. Totally dead, now totally alive. 
And the angels here are giving a loving rebuke to the women to remind them of the promise Christ told them earlier while he was with them ministering in northern Israel. See in verse 6 there it says, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? See, what's that a picture of? His authority, his sovereignty. What did he tell them? What did he ask them to remember? Well, it's the promise Christ gave them earlier. You'll see it on the screen. Luke chapter 18. He says this right here. 31 to 33. He says this. And taking the 12, that is the disciples, and included all the women and all of the other disciples around me, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. He's in Galilee right now, northern Israel. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets. Who are the prophets? This is the Old Testament. What they had written about Christ and preached about Christ and God's plan for salvation through him. Everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. See that promise? Will be accomplished. For he, Jesus Christ, will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Awesome picture of God's sovereign authority. Why? Because Jesus Christ is here telling them exactly how his death would happen. And yet is telling them not to be surprised or afraid when it happens because the victory was coming on the other side of it. Don't be surprised, loved ones. This is, I'm going to die, and this is how I'm going to do it. Can you and I do that? No. But the one with authority who has the plan says, this is how I'm choosing to lay my life down. I'm telling you now, so you're not surprised. Awesome. The angels remind the women of what Christ said would happen and reminded them of the three ways they were to realize the promise of salvation that came through it. The same three ways we are to realize Christ's promise of salvation today. Ready? Here's number one. Through his death. Look at verse seven. First half, 7a. How are we to realize this? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Who's the Son of Man? What's that name all about? Another name given to Jesus Christ specifically used for his status as Messiah, the Savior. Now notice this. Circle the word must in there. Don't overlook that. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. Why is there a must there? There's a strong urgency behind that. Must. This implies that his death was absolutely necessary. It had to happen There was no other way salvation could be given to man. It must be this way. The Son of Man must be given up. It's not, the Son of Man could maybe be given up because there's another way. There is no other way. And you say, you got something to back that up? Yes. Yes, I do. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. says this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we, there it is again, must be saved. The exclamation point, other than the name of Jesus Christ. So now look at verse 7. It says this, and that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Who are the sinful men? Okay, let's get in this specific context. We always want to read the word of God in context. It's implying the chief priests, the elders, and the Jewish leaders who would hand him over to the Romans. Those are the non-Jews or the Gentiles that they talked about earlier. But in a broader context, the hands of sinful men, here it is, you and me. The human race, 
You and me in our sin that nailed him to the cross. You say, well, wait a second, I'm not a sinner. Well, the Bible actually says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, you and me, and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And see, the thing with sin is we all have a problem that we can't fix on our own. And that is the problem of sin, which separates us from a holy God. We need a Savior who must be the way to that. And even though Christ lived a perfect life when he came to earth for 33 years as fully God and fully man, he willingly, here's the, here's the thing, say, why would he do this? Out of love for you and me. Out of love. Someone, someone is in here today right now, and you just need to hear that. Christ came for you because he loves you. He's not after your performance. He wants your affection. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, who created, who spoke and this world was created, loves you. He took the punishment and paid the penalty for all our sin, past, present, and every sin you will commit in the future. Laid on him right there. So that we may have eternal life in him if we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior. You say, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know that's even true? How was that accomplished on the cross? Because here's why. A great exchange took place on that cross. It wasn't just some random death. A great exchange took place. The cross exchange, you'll see three things here. Your sin against him for his righteousness in you. His holiness in you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. You'll see it on the screen. For our sake he made him, God making Jesus Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, see not apart from him, not by anything we could do to earn righteousness, to do good deeds, to earn favor, but in him we might become the righteousness of God. He didn't, and I love the fact that our sin, even though it separates us from God, God just didn't take our sin on Jesus Christ and make us kind of morally neutral. He then, he forgave our sin on the cross and then gives us his righteousness on top of that for all those who repent of their sin and trust in him. As our Lord said, he gives you his righteousness. Oh, amazing. The cross exchanged your sin against him for his holiness or righteousness in you. Secondly, from that, it said this, the cross exchanged your separation from him because of our sin for his adoption of you. Look at the beautiful truth of Romans 8.15 right here. It says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. God's not sitting up there being like, well, you do this or I'm going to crush you. He's not sitting up there doing that. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The adoption of sons. This isn't a fearful slave in front of him. Say, if I do this, then maybe you'll have favor with me. Maybe you'll look upon favorably. He's like, you're my daughter. You are my son. You have full privileges and rights as the kingdom of heaven because I am your father. My sons have all the privileges in that family of ours. They're my sons. I would give my life for them in a heartbeat. And I'm a sinner. 
saved by grace. But if I have that much affection for my kids, how much more is God the Father who gave his son for us saying, I've adopted you, you are mine, you do not have to earn anything with me, I love you. I am for you, I will never leave you or forsake you. There is freedom in Jesus Christ, not slavery. Earn, earn, do, do, do. Jesus Christ says, done. I did it. Because you can't. The cross exchanged your sin against him for his righteousness in you. Our separation from him for his adoption of us. Oh, so good. And then thirdly, your eternal death apart from him for his eternal life for you. I love this. Look at John 3.16. One, one of the greatest verses in the history of the church. It says this, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. See, there it is again, loved. God so loved the world that he gave, willingly, gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. What's perish? Eternal death in hell, but have eternal life. Where's that? Eternal life in heaven. Listen, whoever believes in him, you say, I gotta work myself up to be good enough. No, you don't, you can't do that. Christ's like, stop going into that slavery. Stop trying to earn it. I'm right here. I'm right here. It's a free gift. And we have this mentality. Look at our world today. So often, it's like, it's too good to be true. That's why I don't believe it. It's too good to be true. Based on human wisdom, it may be, but based on the one who has authority to do it. Not a chance. You say, but I've done too much stuff in my past. I've walked away for too long. And Jesus says, yeah, my blood covered that on the cross for you. You can walk in freedom from that today. If I could summarize up all of Easter, all of Good Friday, it would come under this banner right here. Jesus in my place. There's Easter. There's nothing to do with a bunny there. I like chocolate bunnies. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, cool. But here's the thing. But here's the thing. That's Easter. Jesus in my place. Paying the debt that I could not pay. See, so much of this world, so much of it, it's do, 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 and Jesus says, done. You can't earn this. He knew that, and his authority willingly went to the cross to accomplish it. So you realize Christ's promise of salvation through who is Number one, recognizing his death, and here it is, number two, recognizing his resurrection. Look at the back half of seven. That the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. This is the resurrection. Now, remember, remember, rise means to literally awaken from death. Not just kind of your sleep, I'll give you one of these. It's like, I'm awakening you from death. I love how E.M. Bounds put this. He said this, The resurrection of Christ was necessary to establish the truth of his mission and put the stamp on the all-conquering power of the gospel. Death itself defeated. The greatest penalty of sin there is, death itself conquered through the resurrection of Christ, ensured complete victory over sin, was a certainty for those who follow him, and that even the greatest impact of sin itself defeated. Christ's resurrection ensured that salvation was found in him alone. 
and that those who live with the power of Christ in them be encouraged today. This resurrection power are no longer slaves to sin and will live in victory over it both in this life and eternally in the life to come in him. Now, does this mean, you're saying, well, Christians, you posture yourself, you're all perfect. No, hey, I'll tell you right now, I'm not perfect. I'm the farthest thing from perfect. But Christ didn't save me to be perfect in this life. Christ saved me to show his power through my little broken bones in this life as I stumble forward to try to be faithful to him. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for perseverance. In the power, the resurrection, power of the spirit. Well, I gotta be so good. No, you don't. That's why Christ came, because you couldn't be. You do not, literally, think about this. If you're in Jesus Christ, you literally do not have to fear death. Top three things people are afraid of in this world. I looked at this, 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 this list of stuff to this week in preparation. Top three things people are afraid of. Okay, Number one is death. Number two is public speaking. Number three is getting married. Go figure. But number one is death. The fear of death. If you are in Jesus Christ, there is no fear of death. You say, well, wait a second. How do you know that? Well, just look at his words. John 11, 25 to 26. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever believes in me. Not when you think you got your act straight. But whoever believes in me, though he die physically in this life, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Eternal life. That's a promise. Then the haunting question he asks right here, which everyone comes face to face with. And we can try to numb ourselves from it with entertainment. We can just try to make excuses. Well, I'm not going to do that. But that question's still going to haunt us. The one which everything else depends on, the one which we are confronted with today, is asked by Christ himself. He says this, do you believe this? There's the question. Do you you believe this. So question, loved ones, if that's you right now, there's his question to you. Do you believe this is true? Because this question leads to the third way and final way we realize his promise of salvation, your response. Your response. Look at verses 8 to 12. And they, the women, remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. See the, the, in verse 8 there where it says, and they remembered his words. The word remember means to realize that what Christ said was true and had happened. And in response to this realization, this remembrance, Mary Magdalene, Mary mother of James and Joanna and the other women ran to tell the other disciples who were all together and were mourning thinking Christ was dead. And the person they had put all of their hope in for salvation was gone. But as we see in verse 11, these words, when they told them to the apostles, seemed an idle tale. The disciples couldn't believe it, and they just dismissed it as idle talk. What does idle talk mean? It's nonsense. Hey, pastor, what you're preaching right now is total nonsense. 
You know what? Here's the beautiful thing about preaching God's word. It's not my job to convince you. You're going to stand face to face with Jesus Christ one day. My job, my role as his ambassador is to preach the truth to you. And we can make excuses of it. We can reject it. We can do this. But that truth, that same question is going to be haunting us to eternity. Do you believe this? Is this true? Not my job to convince you. But here's the disciples responding with the news, the truth that Jesus Christ was raised and it says nonsense. And the word didn't believe them there, the Greek term means this, they were faithless and they refused or were not willing to be persuaded by God. They heard the truth, but they refused to be persuaded by God. Not me, Jesus. Not me. That's a dangerous place to be. How many of us here are in that place today? What you're talking about, pastors, idle talk. It's nonsense. I'm going to refuse to be persuaded by that. But here's the reality we see in verse 12. And even when Peter, who was the leader of the disciples, heard what they said, he ran to the tomb. He saw all the evidence to see for himself. He saw the linen cloths that wrapped Jesus' body lying there. And even though he was amazed by that, he marveled. Wow, that's a great interesting story. That seems interesting. I'm amazed by this. He still did not believe in it until later on when he saw Jesus again risen from the dead, standing face to face in front of him. You don't believe me? Just keep going to Luke Luke chapter 24, 36 to 49. When he and the other disciples declared, my Lord, my God, when he looked into his face. Question. This begs the question. How are you responding to God's word right now? The words that he has just spoken to you. I'm not God. I'm just the messenger. He's God. How do you respond? Do you believe that? Is is this something that we're just content to hear about but won't believe? Idle talk? Refusing, not me, refusing to be persuaded? Have you got beyond just knowledge about God and moved to belief in God? Why do I ask this? And we're going to close with this. This This is the most important question of your life. The same question Jesus asks and will be answered. Why? Here's why. Because knowledge will not save you, loved ones. It can't save you. Only saving belief in Jesus Christ can. Knowledge of God can't save you. What does saving belief look like? He tells us, Romans 10.9. Here it is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, there it is, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will, there's the promise, be saved. Notice there's nothing in there about our performance. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That is true. And we will realize that in full face to face one day. You must recognize his absolute authority and and realize the truth of his promise of salvation. And my fear, Harvest, is that there are many here who have heard the truth of Jesus Christ, perhaps week after week in this church, 
and yet have never believed in him and confessed him as your Lord and Savior. We're still making excuses. Idle talk, I'm refusing to believe. The truth is this, as we close out. Jesus Christ is alive, and your eternal life depends on it. That's the truth. And just as Peter eventually saw Christ face to face and at that moment believed what he'd heard from the woman was true, you and I will stand before Jesus face to face too. That's coming. And I guarantee you that you will believe in him in that moment. You will believe in him in that moment, but by then it will be too late to do anything about it. Too late to receive him. He's coming. You don't, he's coming soon. You don't believe me? Just look at the end of the book. It's the second last verse. He says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And my exhortation to you, loved ones, is this. Wherever you're at this morning, hear this, eyes up. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The question is, do you believe that? Idle talk? It's your choice. And Christians, if you're here, brothers and sisters, here's a challenge for us this Easter. Are you still in awe of what Christ has done for you? Are you living in awe? Or have we become so familiar with the beautiful gospel that we just take it for granted? Are we living in awe? that the Son of God, all authority, gave his life for us. Do you really believe, loved ones, he's given you the power over sin and death, and if so, does your life reflect an increasing freedom or victory over it? What needs to be brought before him today? That anxiety, fear, doubt, pride, lust, you name it. What needs to be it? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Because sin and death are defeated, and he has risen just as he said. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you said that your word, this gospel, is the aroma of life to those who are receiving it, and the aroma of death to those who are refusing it. Father, I pray right now, that God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill this room with your presence. That God, we would see just the beautiful, simple truth of what you have done in sending your son to die for us and resurrecting him from the grave that we may find eternal life in him. I pray that would be so clear right now and that all our excuses, all of our, our, our hardening of our hearts, all of our all of our wanting to just say this is idle talk we would cast that at the foot of the cross right now and in Jesus name say Jesus if this is true I want to believe it open my eyes right now open my eyes the same question is there do you believe and father for those who do not I pray right now they say yes I confess you as my Lord and Savior I can't be good enough to earn this you came and exchanged that for me that I could live in you my sin for your glory. Father, for those that are here, 
and have made that decision, may they be refreshed, may us be refreshed and not take this for granted, to live in awe, to live in faith, to live in the power of the resurrection, that whatever sin is there, it has no hold on us. Oh, grave, where's your sting? Oh, sin is defeated because the bonds of death could not hold him. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.